This morning, the reading from the sermon, or for, for the sermon, comes from the Old Testament prophet of Joel. And before we share in the reading, I, we need to say a thing or two about this passage and offer a little bit of background, because unless you're a Hebrew scholar or well-versed, um, Joel might be a little bit of a stranger to you. Joel is one of the minor prophets, and biblical scholars use the real, real distinctive moniker that the minor prophets are the short ones. The major prophets are the long ones, the long books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, they are the major prophets because their books are long and easier to find. The minor prophets, there's 12 of them, are much shorter And sometimes the easiest way to find them is to just use the table of contents in your Bible. And that's okay. Unless you remember the books of the Bible song, or like, you know, like Christopher, who wants to be um, an Old Testament scholar, our intern. um, You want to be a New Testament scholar, but, you know, either way. So we use the table of contents, and in my preaching Bible, Joel starts on page uh, 1295. In the Pew Bible, it starts on page 778. And uh, we think about this passage, this passage that we don't know much about, and this passage where we might be led to think, why would we read uh, a passage from a minor prophet on a Sunday when the kids are here to sing and there's so much energy in life? And when you hear it, it will make all the sense in the world. The thing is, we don't know that much about the prophet Joel. His prophecies could have come from the 4th century before Jesus, the 5th, the 6th, the ninth. There's not a lot of historical data that helps us understand what it is he was writing about and who it is he was writing to. But we do know that in chapter 1 of Joel, he talks about a severe drought and a plague of locusts. And as is the case in most Old Testament prophecy, when you hear about a plague of locusts, it doesn't necessarily mean there were a bunch of bugs around. A plague of locusts is a way of describing bad things happening to the people, things happening that weren't going their way. And another thing about that is that they believed at this time that if you were being unfaithful to God, then you would receive things like plagues of locusts. That's the way they described the bad things happening to them, the droughts they were experiencing. So they think Joel was written in the midst of some sort of exile or oppression. Things weren't going well. And so what the people needed to do was to turn back to God. And in the verses right before the ones we're about to read, the people do turn back to God. They turn back, they decide they want to be righteous, they decide they want to be faithful, and they repent. They promise they will follow God closely because they're unsatisfied with what they were experiencing by being unfaithful. And after God receives their commitment to be faithful, we then hear this passage uh, read from the prophet. These are the words of God's response to the prophet um, because the people determined themselves to be faithful. These words are positive and hope-filled. Their response to God's people in faithfulness. And they're read from the prophet of Joel, chapter 2, verses 23 through 32. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God. 
For he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter. My great army which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And then afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. On every male and female slave in those days I will pour out my Spirit. I will show portents in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. But then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem thou 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 shalt be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those who the Lord calls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we get back to Joel, a thought. Everyone's guilty of stereotypes. Hollywood is really good at stereotypes. That's why every romantic comedy you see follows about the same script, right? Boy meets girl, they sort of fall in love, there's a conflict, and then in the end, everybody lives happily ever after. And in those romantic comedies... Things happen that never happened to you and I. We didn't fall in love like that, did we? Or action movies. We all love a good action movie, don't we? But if we're honest, they all follow a similar script. There's good guys, there's bad guys, there's intrigue, there's conflict, there's car chases, there's people jumping across skyscrapers from one to another. And I'm still waiting a bit reluctantly for a car chase to happen And I don't even like being on the roof of a skyscraper, let alone jump across one. Action movies are fun, but that's not what happens in real life. And before I get back to Joel, there are stereotypes about church as well sometimes, aren't there? There's the stereotype in television and movies like maybe the dad from that old show Seventh Heaven, or the staid Stoic congregation from Springfield that Reverend Lovejoy leads. Or maybe even the most popular stereotype that we see of the church in movies is a character on one side of a confessional booth with a priest on the other side of the screen. I suppose some of those stereotypes are true, but most of them aren't. There are stereotypes about visiting churches. You've ever gone into a church and been worried that you were sitting in someone else's pew? Or maybe you've gone into a church and been asked to leave someone else's pew? I know it happens. It's uncomfortable. There's expectations that the older people in church are going to be set in their ways, that the younger people in the church, all they want to do is bring in the drums. There's a narrative that the kids are always rowdy, which they're not today, that the babies are always crying, which they're probably not either, 
that there's only old ladies in the, in the nursery space. And the best way to get youth is to give them a couch in their Sunday school room. And while some of these things may be true, and while we may be guilty of succumbing to some of these stereotypes as well, I think if church were only about those stereotypes, none of you would be here today. Because in church, in your life of faith, you experience so much more. And I think that God wants so much more for His church, and God is willing to provide so much more for His church and His people And I think that all of those stereotypes are quite different from what it was we read in this Old Testament prophet from Joel. The people decided that it was time to turn back to God. It was time to be faithful again. And so God responds, I'm going to bring rains and the drought's going to be over. The famine will be accompanied, uh, that was accompanied by that oppression And the starvation that you've been worried about that was lurking, it's going to be gone and changed. Everyone will have plenty to eat. God decided, I was going to give you back everything that you lost while the locust plague was oppressing you. And all of those practical things made the people who were hearing this prophecy happy and brought comfort. But what's really exciting is the the things that are maybe less tangible but more important for the people of God, which come later in the passage. There's hopeful promises that lie there. When God says, look, know that I am with you. You've repented and I'm with you. I'm going to pour out my Spirit on everyone. And then listen to this. Your Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, not be stuck in their ways. Your young men will see visions. And I will pour out my Spirit on all people, and everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. These promises are what happens when God's faithful people, when God's faithful church defies the stoic, staid stereotypes that we all can kind of think of and conjure up when we defy those stereotypes and attend to God, those stereotypes go away. Because when we're faithful to our God, when we're faithful to the Lord, the Spirit comes to everyone. When we're faithful, the the sons and the daughters, the young among us prophesy and tell us how it needs to be and how it is it can happen. When we're faithful, the older among us are not stuck in their ways. Rather, They're stuck on dreaming dreams about how they can provide what's next for the generations to come. When we're faithful, the young among us don't just sit and wait for leadership to come so it's their turn to fill a role. The young see what it is that needs to happen and work to bring about what it needs to come. According to these words from Joel, when when God's people are faithful, Through the power of the Spirit, generation gaps close and whatever gap is left is filled with generosity. When we are faithful and not stuck in our ways, we're empowered and and we come to life through the power of the Spirit. And And when we're faithful, not a stoic, staid community, when we don't do what we've always done because we've always done it, We have a chance to become God's dynamic 
powerful, alive people who, who sense and live a, in a, as a part of a church that's full of love and grace and forgiveness and possibility and power. Because as God said, I'm going to send my spirit to everyone. All it takes to be faithful is to turn to the Lord. To see the possibility that comes from truly seeking righteousness. Truly seeking a devotion to God and a relationship with God. Us, for us as individuals. And for us collectively as well. Maybe it's all the Halloween candy that's starting to float around that we see everywhere, but I must confess I've been thinking a little bit this week about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Y'all have seen the movie, right? You remember Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? I'm thinking about the old one where Gene Wilder plays Willy Wonka. But if you remember, all over the world, the children were, were dreaming about finding a golden ticket. And Charlie Bucket, a poor little boy from England, finds... Finds a coin and buys a candy bar, and in his candy bar, he finds a golden ticket. He brings it home, and they see it, and they're so excited that his grandfather, Grandpa Joe, who hadn't been out of bed in a long, long time, upon seeing the golden ticket, dreamed a little bit of a dream. And it was a powerful enough dream to get Grandpa Joe out of bed and walking and dancing, and Grandpa Joe goes with Charlie to tour Wonka's factory. The movie is a a powerful uh, parable of sorts, at least that instance is, about the possibility that comes when, when you dream. Charlie and his grandfather were dreaming on a golden ticket. But we get to dream on something else that's all the more powerful. Through the power of the Spirit, imagine what God will do for us as we let His power in and dream dreams. Imagine what happens when we take seriously the power of God's Spirit. Imagine what dreams we might be able to dream, what power might be able to come alive, and what what God might do through His church because of that. Imagine what God will do in us and through us. Imagine the droughts that will turn to rain the locusts that will go away, and the righteousness that can come if we allow the Spirit to dream in and with and through us. Every time we've imagined and dreamed big with God's Spirit, the power of God has come to us and we felt it. I trust that if we dream big with God's presence and with the presence of the Spirit among us, God's power and love will be alive and well for us on this day and for many, many days ahead. This morning we come to church and we share in a sermon from an obscure text from a minor prophet that we had to find in the table of contents. We read uh, here a sermon that, that pushes back against the stereotypes of what church should be or, or what other people think church might be. Because what we see is that that, that the minor prophet Joel brings about the possibility of dreaming well in and through and with the Spirit. God has the power and the desire to dream big dreams through His church. God has visions for us to see and possibilities for us to embrace. 
God has bigger plans than any stereotype could limit His church to. And any tradition could hold us back from. So as His people, may we have the courage to turn to righteousness, especially if we feel like we're in the midst of a spiritual famine. May we have the willingness to see God's possibilities for us and through us. May we embrace the possibility of our children leading the way, prophesying. May we embrace the dreams that our old men will dream and the visions that our young might see. Because when the Spirit of God is at work among us like that, in us and through us, amazing things through God's Spirit will happen. Let's dream with the Spirit about that today. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your presence and your power that comes through your Holy Spirit. And we give you thanks that as we've prayed this morning, your Spirit is among us in these walls. And because it is, nothing else matters. Lord, grant us the courage to dream with you in your Spirit. God, grant us the wisdom to know which dreams to follow and which temptations to avoid. And God, grant us the grace to sense your presence, your generous Spirit, and your generous love to all of us, no matter the generation, no matter where we've come from, and no matter where we're headed towards. Because we believe that when anyone calls on your name, they may be saved. Especially us. And for that, for your salvation and for your love, we give great thanks today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.